Hi, welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and uh, with me is uh, Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Thank you for having me, Joe. You are welcome. <laughs> that felt like you know. I didn't. I did not feel when I with the last time we did this. I was in Brazil. You were here in the states. Uh, now we're both here in the states. I didn't feel that same level of gratitude when I was all the way in Brazil. I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't have the same amount of gratitude <laughs> that I do right now. I feel like right now I'm truly feeling lucky to be here. So that's why I really wanted to make that thank you for having me count. Well, it did count. It did count. <laughs> uh, it is great to be back. Great to be back uh, here. I, as my understanding is I've missed nothing. I, I believe that I'm I'm completely up to date. But we'll, we'll catch up on that. We're going to do a, our, our Yankee Minute and then we'll uh, – do the full argument, and uh, you know we might as well get right into this, uh, and let, let's have uh, our delightful uh, producer Tess play the Yankee Minute music. That that's such a good sound, and uh, and it, I, I think this is a pretty quick one because if I'm not wrong, unless I'm wrong, I mean I have been in Rio for the last few weeks. The, the Yankees are, have fallen apart. Am I am I right? I, I, I've gotten this right, don't I? Uh, no, Joe, you're wrong. Uh, <laughs> you're dead wrong. The Yankees are uh, they're playing. Well, here's 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 what's happened. In case you don't know, uh, they traded every good player on their team. That right before I left, they sure right did. before you left, right? So that's why you probably think that they're they're not doing so great. They I assume twenty game losing streak. <laughs> they traded every single good player they had. And it sort of annoyingly stocked their farm system with like 12 great uh, prospects. Right. And then have proceeded to play way better after that <laughs> trade, after those trades, than they did beforehand. Here's what's happened. Quick recap. They split a series. Starting, I'm starting on the August 1st, right? So sure. that's the day after the trade deadline. So they, they split four games with the Mets. That's fine. The Mets are okay, mediocre. Slightly better than the mediocre team. They take two out of three from Cleveland. That's a little annoying. That's annoying. I, I thought I, I was assuming Cleveland was going to sweep them. They took two out of three from Cleveland. Then they took two out of three from Boston in Boston. That's annoying. They take two out of three from Tampa Bay at home. All right, that's to be expected. They uh, they they lose two out of three to Toronto, and I'm like, okay, now here we go. Here we right? go. Right. They win two out of three in Los Angeles against the Angels, which is like, all right, fine, the Angels stink. They win two out of three in Seattle against a very hot Mariner team. Yeah, they yeah. win two out of three against Baltimore. And it, you look up at the end of the day, they end up losing the last two games, their last two games in August before tonight. Uh, and, but they're 15 and 11 in August. They were playing, they played better in August. Than they did, and there's one reason why, and we all know the reason. The reason is that Babe Ruth has been reincarnated and plays on their team at catcher now under the name Gary Sanchez. I'm this is of all of the things that have driven me crazy about the Yankees over the year. This is like top five already. That this guy, he is the I believe you sent this to me the other day. He's the fastest player in Major League Baseball history to 11 home runs. Right? Yes, that is correct. Yeah. Yeah. There are six players who have hit. Uh... 10 or more home runs uh, in their first 25 games. So there's six players who have done that. Uh, he is the only one of them to have hit 11 in <laughs> their first 25 games. And his, he's not at 25 yet, by the way. I mean, he, he could still hit another four. He's got like a couple more games to go. Yeah. Um, who, who is Gary Sanchez? How, how, how did this happen? 
So I have this theory. Gary Sanchez happens to be the name of the production company that Adam McKay and Will Ferrell founded. It's a production company, all the movies, you know, Talladega Nights and Step Brothers and all the movies and TV shows they do. They're like, at the end of them, you'll see, a, or at the beginning of them, if it's a movie, you'll see a card that says Gary Sanchez. And they, they made up the name. The idea, I believe at the time, was they invented like a fake retired place kicker from the NFL whose name was Gary Sanchez. And they said that he was like their third, you know, partner in their endeavor. But the whole thing was a crazy joke. I feel like somehow Will Ferrell is behind this. I feel like this is an elaborate prank that's being played on me and all other kind and good-hearted people in America. And that Gary Sanchez is actually like Will Ferrell in disguise. And this and all of the reports of everything he's doing are fake and made up. And yeah. at some point he's gonna reveal that this whole that this is a this is a complete fabrication. It's a prank being played on me. That's what I that's what I'm it does have this Capricorn one feel to it, right? That they're, 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 I haven't you know, they're just making this stuff up. Um you know, I, I, I gotta say, I mean it, Gary Sanchez, it, it, you know, it, it, if 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 the story is to believed um, was a 16-year-old phenom that the Yankees bought at age 16. They paid $3 million to him uh, as a 16-year-old in, in the Dominican. Um, and those guys never pan out, as you know. I mean, they're like, that That happens every year. Uh, you know, some the Braves usually will give some guy $3 million to 16, and you never hear about him ever. Like yeah. they, they never, they pan, they, they, they don't just, it's not that they just don't make it. They're like at 18, they're already out of baseball, right? Because right. they, they get too much money at too young an age. And it's very, very difficult for, for Dominican players to, to, to beat the language barrier and all the other things. I mean, they, you know, it's, it's incredible what they do. So, uh, he's, he, he, you know, has like a first, first couple of years are pretty good. And then he's like a huge problem. Like he he like gets benched for insubordination, uh, gets gets benched again for some off the field incident that nobody has ever revealed what it even is. You know, um, scouts are saying he doesn't try very hard. I mean, that's like a big issue with him when he was twenty one or twenty two. You know, I I had a scout personally because I was asking a scout once. Like to me, Yankee prospects can never be trusted because they're always overhyped because they're the Yankees. And right. I was asking him about the Yankees prospects and I was asking him about Gary Sanchez and he was saying Gary Sanchez could be a superstar, uh, but he doesn't care. I mean, that was his, his actual uh, scouting report on Gary Sanchez. So I would written the guy off. I just said like, okay, well, you know, that's, that's just what happens. And then I'm in Brazil getting texts from you every six seconds yeah. Gary Sanchez just hit another home run. Just like every six seconds, I'm getting another text saying Gary Sanchez hit a home run. This is not acceptable. I, I just want to say that because not only is he hitting home runs uh, like at a record rate, you watch him play. He he, he does. He's not going to stop hitting them. He that swing and the way he comes at the plate. And I mean, this is not some crazy Shane Spencer, Kevin Moss like. You know, oh, you know, just just some crazy thing that's going to go away. This guy is going to be great, like for the next fifteen years. Yeah, well, I tweeted that. I tweeted that there was. A, I was actually taking some amount of comfort in knowing for how long I was going to hate him. Right. 
You know, like I, it's like the, it's like someone gave me a ten-year contract where I know that I'm employed for ten years, and you're like, okay, I, I'm locking this in. I know that in like you know January of 2025, I am still going to hate Gary Sanchez, and there's some amount of peace that comes with that. And it was what was interesting is when I tweeted that, a number of people wrote back to me and said like, I'm a Yankee fan. That's how we feel about Mookie Betts, which I actually, that I took more comfort from that. (laughs) The thing I don't understand though about him is, you know, he was in, he was at Scranton. He was in triple a, right. He hit 10 home runs in 71 games in triple a. So not bad. Right. But he had like, his OPS was eight ten. Right. His OPS the year before in 132 at bats, in Triple A was eight forty nine, and in two hundred and thirty three at bats in at, at Trenton Double A his OPS was seven ninety five. Right. His OPS is in previous seasons in the minors seven forty four, seven thirty three, seven sixty six, eight seventy, eight twenty, seven fifty nine. So you know, like that's those are okay numbers. Those are decent numbers. He had a five seventeen slugging percentage his last year in rookie ball. Okay, so the guy's got some pop. How do you then go to the major leagues and in 23 games, his slugging percentage is higher than Xander Bogarts's OPS? His <laughs> slugging percentage is 864. His on-base percentage is 455. He's hitting 400. So his OPS is above 1.3. And obviously, yes, there's a certain amount of like it's 88 at bats and whatever. The league hasn't figured out how to pitch to him yet and so forth and so on. And and he hasn't hit a home run now in a couple of days, which just seems like a miracle that he <laughs> hasn't hit a home run in three days. But but it was like a weird nightmare for people who hate the Yankees when he came. He and Aaron Judge, the, who is a much more highly touted prospect, hit both hit home runs in their first major league at bats back to back in the same game, which is just like a, a nightmare of epic proportions. Because then you see that highlight every for the rest of your life everywhere you go. That's going to be playing on a loop. But uh, and by the way, Aaron Judge just hit a home, two-run homer in the game as we're literally as we're talking against the Royals. But uh, but I just don't understand. I, th- that I, I don't understand. I don't understand how you go from a guy who has an 800 OPS basically or lower at every level of the minors to exploding into the major leagues in the heat of a playoff race. It just doesn't make any sense. I've never seen anything like it before. No, it's it's really pretty crazy. I mean, there are guys that pop into the major leagues and 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 hit better than they ever hit in the minors. The thing about about Sanchez, you're hoping for Jeff Francoeur, right? You're hoping at some level you're hoping this is Jeff Francoeur. You're just, hoping that Gary Sanchez is on the cover of Sports Illustrated in like <laughs> with the natural with the yeah. natural written across him. I don't. Here's the thing. I never bought Jeff Francoeur. I just never bought him. I, I mean, I, I always thought there was a huge hole in that swing. And, you know, look, I didn't think he was going to sort of flounder, you know, at some point the way he did. Um, I, I didn't think he was going to be. That's what's scary about Gary Sanchez is, I mean, everything about him, the way he carries himself. Let's remember, he was a he was like a defense first prospect. Yeah. And he's ridiculous behind the plate. Yeah. That arm and the speed with which he unlo- unloads his throws to second, are it's a joke. It's an absolute joke. So the, the the big line on him was that, hey, you know, and he had some problems. I remember blocking balls or whatever. But once he worked that out, the thing was it, it almost didn't matter what he hit because he was going to be such a good defensive catcher that right. if he hit a few home runs, he, he would be really valuable. And, but he looks at the plate. I, I mean, it's it's scary. 
It's yeah. it really is scary. I got to be honest. I mean, I've, I've I've not seen that much of Aaron Judge, but I, I I'm not I'm not overwhelmed. You know, when I watch Aaron Judge, and obviously, you know, look, if guys come up and they struggle a little bit at the start. That's 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 what baseball is. The the Sanchez thing. It's not even the numbers that that to me suggest how good he's going to be. It's he just he just owns the place. You know, he walks in, he just looks like he owns the place. I. I it blows my mind. That said, okay. Now let's let's now let's take it one step further, though. They still shouldn't win, okay. Just just because <laughs> one guy's hitting a ton of home runs, that's still not because the, the rest of that team is as bad as ever. Yeah. So yeah, how, they're still they're still terrible. They're and, still and, terrible. And, yeah, they're only a couple games out of a wild card uh, position, and they have a lot of teams to climb over, which is usually means you know it's a lot harder to do, but. Yeah, I mean, as far as Aaron Judge goes, by the way, Aaron Judge is enormous. He's yes. so scary looking. But I watched him. He was in right field the other day, and he took a, let's call it a Ken Seiko in path to a fly ball that went over his head. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, this guy isn't like a super athlete. He hasn't got it all figured out. Um, and he's also been hitting terribly. Until tonight, he's been hitting pretty terribly um, in the last, uh, you know, since, since he kind of made a splash, he's been hitting terribly, but you're right. The, the first two hitters in the Yankee lineup every day are, are Gardner and Ellsbury who are both terrible hitters. Yeah, they're they're really they're terrible. They have OPS is under 700. Then you have Sanchez hitting third. And the craziest thing is that Didi Gregorius hits cleanup. <laughs> Didi Gregorius hits cleanup for the Yankees. Starlin Castro hits fifth. McCann hits sixth. He's also, you know, like his day, best days are behind him. Chase Headley, who's been terrible all year, is hitting seventh. And then Judge and Austin, another rookie, who his OPS is under 400 or something. It's 500. This is a terrible lineup. It's a truly terrible lineup. They should be losing every single game they play. Somehow, Sabathia, it seems like Tanaka, who's their only really good starter. Right. It seems like he pitches every other day. He does pitch a lot. He does. <laughs> you know what it's like? It's like the Lions play the Packers 93 times a year. That's right. Yeah, yes. Tanaka pitches every other day. Uh, and 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 somehow Sabathia's had a crazy bounce back year, which I would have bet everything I owned against that ever happening. They, but like you even look at their bullpen, their bull, they traded everyone. They traded their whole bullpen. They traded Ivan Nova. They traded their fifth starter. They traded Nova. They traded Chapman. They traded Miller. They traded Carlos Beltran. They played, they basically, they were selling. That's what's so infuriating about this. They were giving up. They were saying, okay, we're not going to make the playoffs this year. We're at best a 500 team. We've only, we're only at 500 because of this crazy bullpen, but let's flip all these arms and let's get some prospects for the future. Then they did that, got those prospects, and then have played better than before <laughs> they made the trades. I just, I know that people are probably sick of hearing this, but it's like they have cast a magic spell that that prohibits them from collapsing. And I don't understand it. I no. it just, I'll never understand it, Joe. Well, the thing is, though, that that they do bring up these fictional pitchers all the time. Yeah, but Luis Sessa, by the way, is 4-0 this year. I want you to know that. It's very important that you know that. I do know that. I knew, though, that Luis Sessa is 4-0. And, and, uh, like, but, it's, but it's always – I mean, like, here's the thing about the Yankees. They've, like, run out of, um, like, real names. Like, like, you know, like, for a while there, they were coming up with, like, all of these chasing Shreve. Like, you could just – at least they were, like, sort of – but now they're just, like – 
taking football names. I mean, they're just like, oh, yeah, you're, you're Tom, Bobby Lane, Tommy Lane, whatever. You're Lane, Tommy Lane, and, and yeah. you're, you're Rocky Blyer, you're Richard Blyer. It would just, it's like they're not even, it's like they're not even trying anymore uh, to, with these fictional people that they keep throwing at them. Yeah. Here's the thing, and, and this is really the scary part. And, and, you know, they're playing the Royals now who are sort of on their own weird mission. You know, like they were dead in the water, and then they were like, no, we're, we're not the Royals. Like you remember us, we're like this scrappy whatever team that wins a bunch of games. So, so they've won like 18 of 20 or whatever. So they're back in it. And now I'm telling you, like they're going to both make the playoffs. Like somehow when this thing is all over with, like the Yankees are going to make the playoffs, and and I don't know what we're going to do at that point. <laughs> I can't believe it. I mean, I'm laughing because I feel like you're right. I like, I, and that, it's just, I it just, it's it's inexplicable. They they're okay. So Sabathia is their highest paid pitcher. He makes twenty four million a year. Right. Second is Tanaka, who makes twenty two. Who's their third highest paid pitcher? Oh, I don't even know who is it. Tyler Clippard. Well, sure it is. Tyler Clippard, who makes $8 million a year, is their third highest paid pitcher. Pineda is still in like his second RB year or whatever. So he makes a little over two. Um, they have Adam Warren, who makes nothing. They have, you know, they have Eovaldi, who's on the DL. I mean, technically, I guess he's their next highest at 3.3. They, they don't have no one. They have Chad Green and Luis Sessa and Tyler Clippard and Ben Heller. And Tommy Lane and Blake Parker and Jason Shreve. <laughs> These are and not people. Stop not, it. They're not real people, and they're going to make the playoffs, and it's going to it's going to end my life. <laughs> uh, by the way, uh, here's another thing. Didi Gregorius, the Yankee cleanup hitter. You might be familiar with Didi Gregorius, Yankee cleanup hitter. Sure, Didi you know, Gregorius. Yeah, the position that, that, that uh, Lou Gehrig used to play <laughs> in the order. Didi Gregorius had had 15 home runs combined in the last two years. He has 17 home runs this year. How is that happening? His home run totals by year, starting the, his first full, really full year, 7, 6, 9, 17. He's already set his career high in RBIs. He's, he's hitting 288, the highest, which is 30 points above his career average. He's slugging 468, which is 70 points above his career average. It doesn't make any sense. I, do, I mean, I obviously, whatever. He's 26. He's maybe he's hitting his prime. He's hitting cleanup for the New York Yankees. His name is Didi Gregorius, and he's a shortstop. None of this makes any sense. He's a shortstop from the Netherlands, by the way. <laughs> yeah, good point. The good Yankees point, cleanup hitter is a shortstop from the Netherlands. From the from Amsterdam. Okay, I, by the way, I promised him that I would do this uh, on Twitter, so I'm going to do it. Um, Alan Sepinwall, uh, the the superb um, uh, television writer, uh, is loves this segment. He's he's yeah. a huge Yankees fan, and every time we do this segment, he he makes sure to just rub it in just a little bit more uh, because this is like the dream season for him. Because as yeah. you mentioned early. Not only are they like com- contending in in like using all kinds of black magic, but they did. They got like ten prospects in this, yeah. you know, where they just basically dumped parts that they just picked up half year parts that they picked up. They just dumped on teams 
to get to get prospects. It's like the dream year for him. I just want to say something bad is coming for Alan Sepinwall. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> and I'm not, that's not a threat. I'm not saying like I'm going to do, I'm just saying that if you're a Yankee fan really enjoying this year, uh, I, I just think, I just think some, maybe, maybe it'll be, maybe it'll be the giants. I don't know. Something bad seems to see you deserve a little something bad for as well, glorious as this has been. Alan contends, and I, I see his point a little bit, not fully, but a little bit, that because he's also a diehard Knicks fan, that he's, uh, owed, he's owed a little kind of good, good uh, luck. I would counter by saying that after the two Super Bowl wins over the Patriots <laughs> and after the last hundred years of New York Yankee baseball, that he's owed nothing. Yeah. No New York sports fan is owed anything. <laughs> Uh, but that that would be his contention, I think, is that the next misery of the last 15, 20 years is, you know. It's, it's, it doesn't go quite back that far. But I'd say for the last 10 years, that's that's I'm not going to say it's legit and I'm not going to say it's a it's a fair trade. But that that is some suffering. Look, I mean, let's be honest with you. Where, where is the Boston suffering? There's just been none. It just doesn't hey, matter what sport. I, I don't. I, and I'm not complaining about any. I don't complain about the Red Sox. You I don't. don't you don't. I I I really don't. I know how well how good I've had it, and I and like I don't I don't think I can really complain about anything for about twenty years <laughs> at this point. So I'm not going to. <laughs> all right. Well, I just we 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 had to get the the dig in at Allen. Um, all right. So let's let's do our full argument, which will will be short because we we obviously took up almost the entire time. Uh, not even adding anything to the Yankee no, discussion, by just, the way. Just saying things that are true out loud. <laughs> That's what we do now at the, for the Yankee Minute. <laughs> All right, so our full argument is just we're going to wrap up the Olympics. Uh, so the I guess the full argument is Olympics, good thing? I guess that's it. I think that's the whole... <laughs> I think that's the whole argument that we have coming up. Um, not, did you enjoy the Olympics? Did you enjoy them? Those are That's not a a dumber way to put it than many of the around the horn uh, segments. Right. So I think we're on, we're on solid footing there. Are the Olympics a good, good thing? thing? To... Your thoughts. I loved, I really loved the Olympics this year. Yeah. I loved watching it. I watched more of it than I think I did even in London. Um, partly because I have an eight year old son who's sports obsessed now. Awesome. And a six year old daughter who really liked watching the gymnastics and she liked the, she liked uh, women's volleyball and stuff like that. Uh, and, but I, I thought Simone Biles was like a transcendent. Ugh. That was a transcendent thing to watch. It's not even a. I was. It's not even like one event or anything. It was just the entire sort of like the entire week of gymnastics was. I I really. Marilee Retton said, and they repeated this many times. She said, "I've said it before. I'll say it again. She's the best gymnast ever." Sure. And I don't know how you could watch that performance and not agree. I I really felt like that. I'd, even, you know, Gabby Douglas last year, that was amazing. And certain performances that you see in the old days and Ali Reisman. And there are many, many gymnasts whose um, performances have seemed in the moment like, wow, that's incredible. That's the best I've ever seen. I don't know how you get better than what Simone Biles just did. She fell on the beam and won a bronze because yeah. her, her routine <laughs> is so difficult that even given that normally fatal error, she still meddled, and it's because everything she did was just harder than everybody else's routines, and she did them better than everybody else. There were so many moments just in gymnastics that I don't know if you saw that. I'm sure you did. You were sure. covering it for, 
as part of your job, but the the moment uh, when Hernandez was about to do her floor routine and oh no, it was her beam routine, and she whispered to herself, "I got this." Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah. That gives me chills when I watch that. That's one of the coolest things I have ever seen in my entire life. Just whisper at, at that moment on the hardest event on the biggest stage at the thing you've been training for for four years to just steely-eyed stare at that balance beam and whisper to yourself, I got this. It makes me want to cry. It's so <laughs> wonderful. And the, all five of those women were, I thought, just beyond compare. I loved watching that event. And then that's just, that's just one event. Then there were a million other storylines that I thought were, you know, were just were riveting and great. I thought it was wonderful. How did, what, did you, what was your end? Uh, it, was, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. You know what's really interesting? You talk about Simone Biles, and, and this is a very difficult thing to sort of get across as a, as a writer because you're obviously writing the event. When when gymnastics is actually live, when you're watching it live, like in the in the uh, stadium, as people who have watched it will know, it's not an organized thing the way it is on television. You know, there's it's not like oh, well, you focus on one thing. There's four things going on all at once, and and you know they're all doing the different events. Not not when they do the individual stuff, but when they're doing the team events and when they're doing the the for the all around. So you got people doing the the bar, you got people doing the floor, you got people doing the, the the vault. So you have it all going on all around. So you're watching and and they just keep coming. It's like a big parade, you know, four new countries, four new countries, four new countries. So here was the thing and this is like I said, it's difficult to get across, but I think I think it's television does a better job of it than this. You watch like 40 floor exercises. You right. know, and what they're doing is incredible. All of them. The worst one out there is amazing, right? I mean, they're they're doing incredible flips and 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 spins and turns and and it's graceful and it's to music and it's beautiful. I mean, it's incredible to watch, no matter who it is. And then Simone Biles goes out there and it's fundamentally different from every single other person. And that that is so difficult. She's higher. She's more athletic. She's She's flying like on those on the tumbles. She's absolutely a half foot or a foot higher than the second best, you know, which probably was Allie Raceman. Second best person in the world. She's like nine percent better than that person. You know what I mean? And yeah. that's it's incredible. It's it's that's that's why I mean, as as amazing as Usain Bolt is. And, and that was one of the coolest things I've ever seen was was him at the hundred. Um, you know, and the 200 was great too. And the four by 100, it was all great with him, but him at the hundred was, you know, that's the event and watching him win in the stadium and how electric it was. I mean, it was really cool watching Michael Phelps do what he did, uh, watching, I mean, the basketball team, all the cool things that went on. There was still something fundamentally different about Simone Biles. She was as great as Katie Ledecky was. All right. So Katie Ledecky is 11 seconds faster than everybody else in the world. As great as she is, I still think the gap between Simone Biles and the rest of the world is the biggest gap in sports like today. That's interesting. That's yeah. a that's a really good debate because that was the thing about Ledecky. Oh, she's on, amazing. And by the way, the amazing. Yeah. yeah, and like the she I mean those the underwater pictures of her oh. where she's going in one direction and everyone else <laughs> is going in the other direction like in the middle of the pool. And, and that was I mean that 
that was like incredible to watch. That was, and she's she's got two or three Olympics ahead of her. Oh right? yeah, well, she's nineteen. She was, yeah. She's yeah. nineteen, so she's won that. She could win that event five times, yeah. which which yeah. would be, truly be insane. But that that's an interesting thing because you get to have those debates. It's much harder to have those debate this debate in like you know whatever baseball or basketball. What percent better? shooter is Steph Curry right, than Clay right. Thompson. But you can in these events you can actually kind of judge like who's who who in which sport has the biggest gap between him or her and the second place person in that event. And yeah, like Simone Biles in gymnastics, it seemed to my very untrained eye sure. that the gap between her and the next best person in any given event really was yeah, was enormous and in a world where, like, you know, the 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 degree of difficulty of what they're doing is so insane, and the the tumbling is so ridiculous, you cannot believe what you're watching. And she's just kind of better than everybody better. else. I know it's incredible. <laughs> now, yeah, I'll tell you, I was there. Um, I, I was really, you know, one of the things that's cool about covering the Olympics is you sort of have to guess where to be because you know it's so enormous and. It happens to every person who's ever covered an Olympics. The coolest thing will happen, like the like when the when the uh, two um, runners ran into each other and one helped the other one up. And like the, right. I wasn't there for that. I mean, I would have loved to have been there for that, but I wasn't. I wasn't there. So stuff happens across town all the time. But I was. This was a pretty lucky Olympics, and I was at a lot of the the really really high you know great moments. And I was there the night Ledecky won the eight hundred. And the thing that was striking to me, in addition to all of the, you know, how far she left everybody behind and all this, it was after 100 meters. So after basically two laps of the pool, she was already a body length and a half ahead of everybody. Now, that that what does that tell you? Because they could have swam the 100 as fast as she did. I mean, it's not like they can't swim 100 meters I mean, maybe not quite as fast, but they wouldn't be a body length and a half behind. It just tells you that the pace she was setting, they're like, yeah, you just go ahead. You just, yeah. you, you are insane. I cannot even come close to keeping up with that pace. So, so it's not like, oh, they're tiring and then she pulls ahead. They know from the first second they jump in the water yeah, I, she's swimming a different race. I'm not even, I'm not, I don't even belong in the pool with her because I'm going to swim a lot slower from the very start because I can't do what she does. So that is, that is phenomenal. I mean, that really is phenomenal. Yeah. That was special to watch, watch that. That was like appointment television was like, you have to watch. And now, you know, four years from now in Tokyo and then eight years from now. And then I think probably 12 years from now, like that will be the, one of the things I look forward to the most is Katie Ledecky swimming the 800. It's just, you would just wonder, I mean, you would imagine that 23, she can probably swim better than when she's 19. I mean, it's right. Assuming there's no injuries or whatever. Like, I mean, I think she's going to, she's going to shorten herself too. She's going to swim the hundred. I think, I mean, I think she's going to, I think she's going to expand. That's what she did. These Olympics. I mean, she won the 800 four years ago. This Olympics, she won the 800, the 400, and the 200, which was a great race and a very close race. Um, and then, and then, so next time she'll probably swim. You know, she'll add two more events. I mean, that's that's what she seems to do. And and but she's untouchable. 
in the 800. And if there was a 1500, she literally might lap somebody. That's <laughs> think about that. I mean, how, how much faster she is in 800. Uh, it's, it's, it's mind boggling how good she is. Yeah. I, I, I am curious back here in the States. How did the Usain Bolt stuff come across? I mean, was it, was it, mind-blowing here because in the in the stadium it was but i don't know how it came across here i don't know that i would say it's mine it was mind-blowing it i mean it was incredible but everyone that i knew it was a it was just a to me it was like a coronation it wasn't like everyone knew he was gonna win no i i didn't talk to one person who thought that justin gatlin was gonna beat him right it was sort of like Barring injury or barring like uh, or tripping and falling, it just, no one was going to beat him in the one hundred. I I was very interested to see what happened in the four by one. Yeah, I thought that that was that was like a, a chance. I thought that I thought the U.S. based on what I had read, which was whatever everybody else read, I felt like oh maybe the U.S. could steal this um, if they if they get off to a really good start, if everything's clean or whatever. But then you watched him take the baton, and it was like, oh, no, he just he just pulled away. Like it wasn't as long as you have that guy running your anchor, he could have made up like a half a second or yeah. a second or something in the just in the last hundred. So it's like you have to have such an enormous lead by the time you get to him. And as soon as he pulled away, I was like, oh, what, they, no one was ever, no one else was ever winning this. This was like. And so, I, I mean, it was really fun to watch, I, but I wouldn't say it was like, it didn't blow anyone's mind, at least, that I didn't blow my mind, it didn't blow anybody else's mind, because it was sort of what was expected. Um, yeah, there's an energy that seeing him do it, I, I mean, I, I think I think we all expected him. The 200 was interesting, because he did have that weird uh, semi with where the... Uh, where the Canadian, you know, kind of ran with him. And so, you know, we weren't 100% sure what was going to happen in the 200. The The coolest moment to me was, in, in many ways, I mean, the 100 was was just a great event. And it was the same night that uh, that, that somebody broke the 400 uh, world record from the right. outside lane, which was unbelievable to watch. Um, but in the 4x100, he that was the closest thing we will ever see, in my mind, to, like, the Roadrunner live. <laughs> like, right? Because he was even with them, and then it was like me, me, and then he was gone. Yeah, and he was like seven steps ahead of them, like instantly. And and I thought that was that was pretty great. And again, that's why I wondered. I mean, you know, look, I think he's the biggest star in the world. I think he's the biggest sports star. I mean, you can you can make your Messi arguments, and you can make your your Ronaldo arguments, and 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 there are plenty of others that 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 you know LeBron and 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 all of that. Um, but I think w- watching him and seeing I've, I've never seen coverage like the coverage for him. I mean, it was it was five times the Super Bowl coverage. I mean, it was there were thousands of journalists covering him specifically. Yeah, uh, he's huge in every country in the world. And and the energy that that's just there in the stadium. I did wonder, does that come across television or not? You know, and I think it probably did the first time because nobody knew who he was, you know, back in Beijing. Um, yeah. But now I wondered if maybe people were like, yeah, you know, kind of like saw that coming already. Yeah, well, the, the one thing I'll say about the Olympics on TV is that you do just get overwhelmed, you know. Mm-hmm. Stuff stuff gets lost because even the marquee events, it's like you're just – it's there's so many things happening all the time. And I'm on the West Coast where I knew the results of everything – 
without even trying to. I knew right. the results right. of every race before they happened. Like, and I tried to, I tried to to stay in the dark, and it just didn't. You just can't do it. It's just impossible. So, I it just felt like, yeah, there goes Usain Bolt, and there he is, and there he's enormous, and he <laughs> is taller than everybody, and faster than everybody, and better than everybody, and then it's over, and you kind of move on to the next thing. And I and the I the one thing I don't understand about him and never will is how he doesn't sweat. He right. literally it, he does not break a sweat running faster than everybody else, and I, I don't understand it. It's really weird. I think it's weird. <laughs> I think it's I think it's like he's an alien because he doesn't he, like a, a minute after the race he's just walking around and it looks like he's going out to dinner. Yeah, yeah. He's there's there is some sort of alien quality to him because also nobody that tall should be able to move that fast. You know what I yeah. mean? I mean, it's like everybody says, well, he has an advantage uh, because, you know, he obviously has a much longer, you know, the, the much longer stride than the other guys. Yeah, but it's because it takes him. A, it should take him a lot longer to take that stride, too. You know, I mean, it's that those should be even out. Otherwise, sprinters would always be tall guys. And he's really kind of the first of his kind, you know, the first six, five sprinter, you know, of, of, of yeah. that nature. What did you think of Tony Dungy saying, uh, he'd love to split him out wide and, and just send him deep. Do you think that could work? Well, well didn't, didn't, uh, didn't he bolt have like a sort of staged sort of like stunt tryout with yeah. man. Didn't he do that after <laughs> the last Olympics? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think as we're seeing now with like Tim Tebow trying to break into baseball, like, I don't think things like that are going to work. I don't think guys can just cross over sports in the way that people, I mean, it would be tempting. I mean, you know, if he could catch it all, I mean, you'd have to, I mean, cornerbacks would just play. I guess what would happen is you just, the cornerback would start 20 yards. Right. Or or bump or, or just try to hammer him at the line. I mean, I don't know what else you, I mean, the, the real question, that was the Ronaldo Nehemiah thing. Like, can you take the hit? But, Unlike Ronaldo Nehemiah, I always thought one of the most underestimated things about that Ronaldo Nehemiah thing, and people remember that he was a, an Olympic hurdler, a fantastic hurdler, yeah. a great athlete, uh, made the 49ers, kind of went over the middle and took, I don't remember who gave him the hit, but it was this jackhammer hit that basically not only ended his career, but ended the career of every hurdler who would ever consider <laughs> Becoming a football player. Yeah. But why are you sending Ronaldo Nehemiah over the middle? Like, ever. Why would you ever do that to the guy? Yeah, there is one play you call for <laughs> Ronaldo Nehemiah, and it's a fly pattern. Fly pattern. Fly pattern. <laughs> That's, That's it. it. Just deep. And if the guy hits you hard, just stop. Don't even don't even go any further. Just yeah. next play will work. Just, just If you have to dive for the ball, just let it drop. It's okay. <laughs> it's fine. We'll run it again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this was this was great. Uh, here's the thing. I mean, are, are we gonna are we gonna keep doing this Yankee Minute thing? I mean, is this is this? I don't know. I mean, I used to really enjoy doing these podcasts, but I, now I'm just <laughs> depressed every week. So I, I, we should maybe just monitor our mood, and if it gets yeah. worse, maybe we'll just have a moment of silence for the concept of like of baseball integrity or something, or, or I don't even know what you'd call it. But maybe next week, if they continue to win, and by the way, right now they're up four, nothing and Tanaka oh, shutting down the Royals. So they're going to pick up a game on the Royals. Probably they'll basically be equal with the Royals. They'll be 60 and 63 the Royals will be 69 and 63. So if they keep winning, 
maybe we just instead of having a Yankee minute next week, maybe we just have a moment of silence. Maybe just like a where we can just reflect on what's going wrong in the world and think about our own mortality. Our own mortality. I, I really think that uh, to me, there's two ways to do it. We can do the moment of silence, or next week uh, we just come up with somebody to blame. Just somebody who oh, is not a- living right. Uh, who is who is causing this? Yeah, yeah. Maybe our or maybe we spend a minute figuring out what we did wrong in our own lives that has that has led to this, right? Maybe it's a it's a confessional. It's a confessional. yeah, it's like a, it's sort of a karma thing. It's like what did we do wrong that has led to us having to suffer this misery? I, I think next week what we do is uh, the first thing I ask you is uh, how, how did you live this week? Did you live right this week? Right. Uh, and and because I'll know based on how the Yankees play. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. It was nice to be here as always. <laughs>